Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Glad you're here. I hope that you had a great 4th of July celebration, however you did that, whatever you did. Uh, I know uh, for me, it was awesome that you guys celebrated my birthday. My birthday's on the 4th of July. Laura invited like thousands of people to Rip Park for my birthday. It was awesome. And there's this amazing fireworks show. Uh, it's, just, it's just incredibly awesome. And I need a bigger ego, and so that was helpful. Um, so uh, thank you for being here. In all seriousness, thank you for uh, just, you know, spending whatever that time was. But thank you for carving out some time to worship God together. Uh, we should be worshiping God throughout the week. But we also get to do it corporately together as the body of Christ on Sundays. And so thank you for carving out and making this a very important time for you to do that. So uh, in history, there's a lot of big things that we take notice of, big headlines and things like that, big events that we study in history. And a lot of times attached to those big events in history are certain people. They're kind of the headliners of those events, right? These are the big people that we hear about all the time. For example, uh, during World War I, one of the big dogs during World War I was President Woodrow Wilson. President Woodrow Wilson, as we know, helped lead our country through the First World War. This was like the first major big worldwide conflict in the modern era. And so Woodrow Wilson was our president, and he led us through that. Here's something that we forget, though. What we forget is that in World War I, when it ended, he was still in his second presidential term. In October 1919, Woodrow Wilson had a massive stroke. What this did was it made him very sick and made him bedridden as our president of the United States. And a lot of people don't know this. But sometimes behind the person that everybody knows, the big name, the big headline in history is somebody that is behind the scenes helping to make sure everything works. In this case, when he had this massive stroke, the cabinet, the United States cabinet, all the advisors, they asked his wife, Edith Wilson, to step in and be the mediator between the president and his cabinet. Because he could not physically handle all of the people and all the, all the decisions that had to be made for our country. A lot of people don't know this, but Edith Wilson was actually kind of the de facto president for a, a few months. That's not normally how it's supposed to work, but she had to step in. The cabinet asked her to kind of be the go-between so that she would go in and she would actually determine what decisions needed to be brought to her husband, to the President of the United States, and what decisions could be left with the cabinet. Now, Edith didn't make any decisions herself, right? She wasn't president, but she was the filter between what the president heard and didn't hear so that he could heal and recover as best he could. Sometimes behind the great people are people that we never have heard about or didn't think about. Let me give another example. There's this guy named Desmond Doss, and this is World War II, and Desmond Doss is a Christian. He's a Christian man, but he's also one of those that we call a conscientious objector. Now, some of you have heard that term. Some of you don't know what that term is, but that term means that he disagreed. He did not believe in taking the life of another human being. Well, that's really difficult during World War II. 
And so what he did as a conscientious objector, he didn't believe in that. He decided to still enlist in the armed forces, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because he doesn't want to kill another human being. But he did. And he enlisted as a medic. He became a medic and became a corporal in the armed forces. And so he went into battle. He actually was in the Battle of Okinawa in the Pacific. But this is interesting. He never carried a weapon. You know what he carried? He carried his medical supplies and a Bible. That's what he carried into battle. Isn't that crazy? And what's interesting is Desmond Doss actually survived not only that battle, Okinawa, and, and catch this, 120,000 people lost their lives just in the Battle of Okinawa alone. Just imagine that number. That was one battle in the whole war. 120,000 people lost their lives in that. But Desmond made it through that, carrying a Bible and his medical supplies. And catch this, he was able to save the lives of 75 people in that battle. Desmond Doss, this is why I bring it up, he was given the Medal of Honor. He's the only conscientious objector to ever win the Medal of Honor, having only carried medical supplies and a Bible. It's pretty amazing. He saved a lot of lives. Sometimes there are ordinary people behind the scenes doing extraordinary things. Most people have never heard of him. Let me give you one more example. Most of us have heard of uh, this guy named Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Remember that? Apollo 11. We have a picture of the Apollo 11 crew. Uh, a lot of people actually don't know who Neil Armstrong is. If you're looking at that picture, Neil Armstrong is the one on the left. Neil Armstrong is the one who was the first human being to walk on the surface of the moon. But here's what we forget. We forget about the other two guys. The other two guys are Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins. Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins. Buzz Aldrin was the guy that piloted the vehicle that got down to the surface of the moon from the orbit around the moon. Without Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong never gets to touch the moon. Michael Collins, he's the one that's totally forgotten because he never even got to touch the moon. He just got to see the moon in orbit. He's the one that piloted the vehicle that kept going around the moon while they were having their fun on the moon. Okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How much, how much fun would that be? Like, okay, well, you get to stay in the little tin can that goes around the moon while they get to jump around and, like, you know, send the thing to Earth and say, hey, we're on the moon and one step for man and, you know, all that good stuff. Michael Collins didn't get any of that. He was just in a tin can going around the moon. Well, here's the truth. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, they don't even get back to, they get to spend time on the moon, but they don't get to go back home if it weren't for Michael Collins. Sometimes the greatest people in history have amazing people behind them doing incredible things right? Faithful, amazing things. And so today, what I want to do is I want to continue the series we've been in, Ordinary to Extraordinary. We're talking about people in God's Word, in the Bible, who did extraordinary things, but they were just ordinary people. They did amazing things with God and for God. And today is no different. This is a person that you've probably heard her name. This is a person you've probably heard of, in fact, you've probably heard a lot of stories that are not true about this woman in the Bible. There's a lot of scandal that's attached to this woman in the Bible. If you've read the Da Vinci Code, 
There's a lot of scandal that she is attached to that is totally false about her in the Bible. But when you think about this woman, we hear her name, but we honestly know basically nothing about her. We never think about her. And yet she had a very important role to play in the life of Jesus and the ministry and the ministry of the disciples. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't heard many uh, sermons, any messages. In fact, I don't think I've heard any on Mary Magdalene. We just don't talk about her all that often because we don't know very much about her at all. But what we do get is we get little glimpses of Mary Magdalene in God's Word, in Scripture. Just little glimpses. All of a sudden, she's just mentioned here and there. There's one big moment that she was definitely a central part of. But otherwise, she's just kind of in the midst of things. She's listed along with other people. That's pretty much it. We don't know much. But here's what I want to do today. We do learn two really important things about Mary Magdalene that I want to share with you today that make her an incredibly amazing, ordinary person that did extraordinary things for Jesus and the disciples. And so, what are these two glimpses that we get? Let's start with number one. The first one that we learn from these glimpses is that Mary Magdalene was really, really generous with her finances. Now, that might be a weird one to start with, but it's actually one of the very first things that's mentioned about Mary Magdalene. It's one of the very first things. She has been attached to a couple of other stories earlier on in the New Testament. It's very likely that that was not her, even though some scholars would even try to battle against you and say that she was. But the truth is, this is kind of the first one, and I want to read for you this first moment when we hear about Mary Magdalene and what it says about her. Listen to this, Luke chapter 8, starting with verse 1. So Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages. He's starting to do ministry, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Did you notice? It's just kind of a little, it's almost like it's an add-on. It's almost like uh, this, this guy who wrote this book, his name is Luke, he's a, he's a doctor, he's a physician. And he was recording some things that were happening around the life of Jesus. And he just kind of makes this list of people. And Mary Magdalene's listed in there. And then he makes this statement, the author. Luke says, and they supported or they contributed to Jesus and the disciples in the ministry from their own finances, their own resources. We don't think about this very often. But think about all the stuff that happens in the New Testament. The feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children. So thousands and thousands of people. Remember the five loaves of bread, two fish? The, uh, the healing of the blind. The healing of the, the people miraculously at the pools. The Sermon on the Mount. The crucifixion. All of the amazing things that happened in all the towns and villages with the disciples. All of these miracles, all this stuff, this doesn't happen without somebody supporting them financially. They have to eat. They have to travel. They didn't have to buy gas. They had no quick trips. But it still costs something to get around. It still costs something to eat. It still costs something to survive, to live. 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking Jesus didn't need financial resources. He can just bless it like he did with the five loaves of bread and two fish and be like, Lord, expand it. And all of a sudden, he can feed thousands of people. So Jesus didn't need financial resources. Well, I'm just here to tell you that was one meal in the midst of three years. It doesn't say that he did that every day. All right. Could he have? Yes, but he didn't. He and the disciples needed to be supported financially. The truth is that behind Jesus and disciples is something that we never think about. There was a whole group of people, and Mary Magdalene was one of them, who were sacrificing and giving financially, sacrificing themselves, their own resources to support Jesus and the disciples. Now, parallel that with us today. Think about all that we have done and all that we are doing and all that we are going to do as a church. None of that is possible without the generosity of all of you. You guys give sacrificially. You guys give financial resources to help with this church. I'm just here to say, I'll say this, the Village Center is amazing, their staff is incredible, but they don't give us this space for free, right? We have to rent this on a per-use basis. We rent the, both gyms. By the way, this is two gyms, not one. Right? And we have the community rooms, and we have the, the activity room, and we have the student room. This is all kind of big. What we do as a church, everything we do requires some kind of finances in some way, shape, or form. For example, in about a month, Pastor Nick, I'm stealing some of his thunder. I'm sorry, Pastor Knox, here, Nick is not here today. So Pastor Nick, when you watch this, I am apologizing right now, okay? Love you. There you go. I'm stealing your thunder. But in about a month, we are going to have what we call Love Week. And what Love Week very simply is for our church is that it is when we go out and intentionally blitz our community with love and serving. We give away gift cards. We give away free donuts and coffee. We serve. We uh, give ourselves to a whole bunch of projects that organizations in our community need. And I'm really excited about this. And again, this is where I'm apologizing to Pastor Nick because he's the one that's told me this. And so now I know. And so now I'm letting the cat out of the bag. Again, I apologize. But I just can't hold it in. The truth is, this is really cool. So Wanaki Neuroconnection Connection always gives backpacks away to kids who are in need, who need backpacks for school every single year. Our church has offered to support and give all of those backpacks this year. It's a lot of backpacks, let me just tell you. You are going to have an opportunity to step in and step up to provide backpacks for this entire community, people that need it. The things that we do as a church and in our church and through our church require some kind of sacrifice financially, yes. Time, yes. Skills and abilities. I mean, we had Jeff have to get up on stage and do announcements for you guys, right? Sacrifice is huge. You did a good job too. You didn't lose your job yet. All right. <laughs> the truth is though, we don't just serve our community during Love Week. A lot of people say, well, why do we just do one week of serving? We don't. We serve people all year long. You know what Love Week is? Love Week is just like what we do, like ramped up times a thousand. We just kind of focus on in one big week, we're going to blitz as much as we possibly can and do as much as we possibly can in a week because a concerted effort is powerful, is it not? 
But all we're doing is really expanding what we do all throughout the year. That requires sacrifice from people behind the scenes. And that is you guys. You guys do that faithfully, and we appreciate that. We cannot do what we do without you. And so thank you. Now, Mary Magdalene not only supported Jesus and the disciples financially, but there was something else that really, really is powerful in Mary Magdalene's life. And it's the second insight that we get from the glimpses that we see of Mary Magdalene. And it's really the reason why she was financially generous. From the snippets that we see, we see that Mary Magdalene was loyal and faithful. Now, as soon as I say that, you might go, well, of course he was loyal and faithful. But just think about it seriously for a minute. Loyal and faithful. It speaks of consistency. It speaks of presence. It speaks of the ability to be there when and how you're needed. Now, I want to bring up something that maybe you've never thought about before, but we know her as Mary Magdalene. A lot of people think Magdalene is her last name. It's not her last name. Mary Magdalene is actually a statement about where Mary is from. It's interesting, if you look at a lot of different places, she is always identified this way, Mary or Mary Magdalene. It's never anything different. In fact, most people around her are identified in different ways. Let me read for you the scripture that I just read a moment ago, just verses 2 and 3 this time. Among them were Mary Magdalene, again, not her last name, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Did you notice that in this scripture and in some scriptures that I'm going to read here in just a few minutes, that a lot of the ladies especially, but people in general, when they are introduced, they are spoken and their name is spoken as attached to a spouse or a husband or a family or a region people group. But with Mary Magdalene, it's different. She's the only one in the uh, entire area of the New Testament I don't know about the, New Te- the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, in this part of the New Testament, she's the only one that's identified specifically with a place. And my question to you is why? Why is she not attached to a person? Why is she not attached to a people group? Why is she not attached to her family? Why is she known as Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene, that last name means that she came from a village known as Magdala. Now, I have a map of this place. Magdala was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the Israelites, they called it the Sea of Galilee. It's actually just a big freshwater lake. But they called it the Sea of Galilee because it was the biggest, you know, section of water that they had. And so they thought it was a sea. And so they kind of called it a sea. All right? The Sea of Galilee, it was also known as Lake Tiberias by the Romans. The Romans, by the way, if you haven't learned anything about the Romans, they like to change the name of everything. Right? They literally, they took over everything, and then as soon as they took over, they changed the name of everything. And so this became, to the Romans, Lake Tiberias, but to the Israelites, it was known as the Sea of Galilee. Magdala is on the western edge, right there, and because of its location, is on a really important trade route, it was very famous for fish. 
And not just fish in specifics, it was known for its salted fish, specifically how they prepared the fish, okay? It's kind of like if you go, if you think of your favorite restaurant, you know, uh, for Laura and I, we've been going to the last couple of months, we've gone to the old-fashioned a little bit. Why do you think we've gone to the old-fashioned? It was because of the cheese curds, obviously, Right? That's what, like, I mean, it's not even, Laura and I, we usually have to discuss whether or not we're going to get appetizers, and usually the answer is no. You know why? Because appetizers cost more money. And I'm like, mm, we don't need appetizers. We're good. But when we go to the old-fashioned, it's not a question. We're ordering cheese curds. It's a matter of how many cheese curds we're ordering. Okay. Why? Because it's known for its cheese curds. It's known for many other things as well, but it's known for its cheese curds, isn't it? People ask, where should I get cheese curds? Probably the old-fashioned. That's probably where you should go. It's, they're really, really good. Some of you are like, I need to go to the old-fashioned. Yes, you do. All right? Magdala was known for its salted fish. Mmm. Anybody feeling that on a Sunday morning? Salted fish. In the Roman Empire, this salted fish was like a delicacy. It was so desired. And so everybody in the Roman Empire knew that that salted fish came from Magdala. It was well known. It had a thriving economy for its salted fish business. The reason I bring that up is for two reasons. One, Mary was probably able to support Jesus and the disciples' ministry because she was somehow connected to Magdala and this thriving industry. She probably was able to have the funds to do the things that she needed to do because she was connected to this thriving business. But the second reason I bring it up is this. Mary was associated with the village and not with a people, not with a husband, not with a family, not with a people group. Why? I don't know this for sure. This is me kind of extrapolating a, lit, a little bit. But I wonder if Mary Magdalene was known from the location and not with a people group because she was actually alone and unwanted and outcast. I think that might be right. The Bible doesn't describe her that way. But the Bible does only describe her as a person connected to a place and not a people group. And I think it's because she didn't have a people. I think she was alone. I think she was outcast. I think she was discarded. In fact, there's a reason why specifically I believe this. Do you remember what Jesus did for Mary Magdalene when he met her? Let me read it for you. Verse 2, among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Not one, not two, not a few, seven demons. Now, this is not something that we like to talk about, but the truth is Satan and demons are real. I've absolutely seen that. They are real. Spiritual evil is absolutely real. You do not want to mess with it. A lot of people do. Mary Magdalene, I don't know her story. We don't know her story. We don't know why she was possessed by seven demons, but there was a gateway there, something in her life that opened her up to seven demons. Now, here's what we know as a result of that. She was probably in physical pain, more than likely emotional pain. She was definitely in spiritual pain as a result of these demons. And most likely, 
the worst part of it was that she was probably in mental and psychological pain. In other words, Mary Magdalene was a complete mess, a wreck. Now, let me ask you this. How many people do you think wanted to be around Mary Magdalene when she was possessed by seven demons? Probably nobody. I'm guessing Mary didn't get a lot of invites. Probably none. Yeah, let's invite the, the, the possessed girl from seven demons to the party. Not going to happen. See, the truth is, I think that Mary was discarded, unwanted, lonely, hopeless until she met Jesus. And Jesus changed everything, didn't he? Jesus met Mary Magdalene, and she went from being unwanted, alone, discarded, nobody wants you around to being one of the key people to support Jesus and the disciples and doing some powerful things to change the world. Well, that's pretty big change. She was healed. Now, loyal and faithful. Remember that's what I talked about, Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene was one of the most loyal, faithful followers of Jesus, yet we know almost nothing about here, but here's what we do know. When you look at almost all of the important events of Jesus' life and the disciples' lives in the New Testament, at least as recorded in here, when you look at the most important events, do you know who was always there? Mary Magdalene. Pretty much every time she was there. She wasn't absent. She was, she's listed. In fact, let me do kind of a blitz version of this. Let me walk us through the scriptures that talk about this. Listen to Matthew 27. She was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Matthew 27, 55 and 56. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him. Why were they there? To care for him, right? Were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Notice again, all these people are attached to families and people groups, and she's only attached to a place. But she was at the crucifixion of Jesus. Mark says something very similar. Let me read it from verse 40 in Mark 15. Some women were there watching from a distance. Sounds familiar, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph. We heard that. And then there's another woman that's listed, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Mary was at the crucifixion. We, I don't know if you realize, but all of the 12 disciples ran. They left. They were not there except for, we get hints at, we don't even have his name, but we get hints that the disciple that Jesus loved, which is John, that's how John refers to himself, because he doesn't even feel worthy to mention his name in his own gospel most of the time. The disciple whom Jesus loved was at the crucifixion. We believe he was because he's listed there. But otherwise, all the other disciples are not there. But Mary Magdalene was. Why? Because she was loyal. Because she was faithful. She was not going to leave her Lord, the one who saved her from seven demons, just because her life was going to be threatened by being associated with this guy on the cross. 
But then Jesus dies on the cross. We all know the story. He dies on the cross. He's taken down from the cross, and they have to bury him, right? Guess who was there when they put Jesus in the tomb? Mary was there. Listen to what it says. Mark chapter 15, just a few verses later. Joseph, this is Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. She was there the whole time. The crucifixion to when they laid Jesus to rest in the tomb, to when they sealed the tomb. She was there. She watched the whole thing. She never left. But then, kind of Mary Magdalene's claim to fame now. You guys know where I'm going with this. Three days later, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Amen. He rose from the grave. That's why we have hope. That's why when we die on this earth, we have hope that Jesus, who promises you eternal life, has already experienced this because he defeated sin and he defeated death. If Jesus couldn't do that, then we shouldn't follow him, but he did, and so we can. And so three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, and guess who was there? (laughs) Loyal, faithful Mary Magdalene. She's the first one. Let me read it for you. Early Sunday morning, John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said. For I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Let me just say this. If there was ever an important witness in all of history. This is the most important moment in all of human history. This moment is really critical. This moment, if somebody does not see Jesus alive soon after he has resurrected from the grave, then we have no proof, we have nothing to go on, and we have no hope to worship. This is like the most important key moment in all of history. And guess what? Jesus chose Mary Magdalene to be the first one to see her risen Lord and Savior. Wow. This is amazing. And the question is, why? Why did Mary get to do this? Mary Magdalene, the one who has no family, nobody that she's attached to. Her name means you're just associated with a fishing town, and it's salted fish at that. It's not even cheese curds. And Jesus says, Mary, 
I've had big things for you to do, and I still have big things for you to do. I believe, I don't know if this is true, this is not in Scripture, so this is Brent's version, but I believe that God, Jesus honored Mary for being the first one to see him alive because she had been so consistent and so faithful and so loyal. I think Jesus was honoring her with this incredible blessing because she was present at all of these important events. I think that's what happened. That's, that's my opinion. The question I have for you is this. Are you present with Jesus? I mean, I see you here. I'm good. We're good. But I mean a lot deeper than that. Are you with Jesus? Are you with him? Fully with him? No matter what, all in. Not sort of, not most of the time, but all in. Are you all in? Are you present? Because your presence with Jesus matters. Presence is powerful. You guys have heard me say that a few times, haven't you? Presence is powerful. Um, I think I've shared this one other time publicly, but when my dad passed two years ago, uh, we had a memorial service for him and uh, to honor him and his life and everything. And, uh, and of course, we had several people speak at the memorial service. And, uh, but what I noticed, not only the people that shared in the memorial service, but all the conversations I had, who knows how many, a couple hundred conversations probably that day, but almost every conversation I had, people offered condolences, obviously, to me. But then more than anything else, the thing that I heard over and over and over again about my dad and how he impacted them is that he was present. That he was there. Not for every moment of their lives, not even for all, uh, all of the moments or even most of the moments in their lives, but that he was there when it was necessary, when it was needed. He was there the power of presence. And the question I have for you is, are you present with Jesus? See, here's, here's what I think we tend to do as a culture. I know I, I shouldn't dig in, but I, maybe I should. We live in a culture of phobo and FOMO. You guys have heard me talk about this. Fear of missing out, FOMO, right? We have a fear of missing out. I have a fear of missing out. I'm a people person. This is why I, I really had to be at Wannaboom, right? Because I knew there were going to be thousands of people there. And yes, I know it wasn't for my birthday, just so that we're clear, okay? But I had to be there. You know why? Because I don't want to miss out. I, don't, I, I, have, I have FOMO. Ask my wife. I would have our family going to literally everything that exists. Hey, there's a big rig event. Yeah, but our kids are older now. Yeah, I don't care. They're big trucks, and they're awesome, and I still love them. And I'm guessing there's going to be people there. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, you, you think I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> like, hey, why don't we, can we stop by? It's like, we don't need to do that, you know? And, and so I, like, have this FOMO. But then there's another thing that a lot of people have, FOBO, fear of better options coming along. And so you know what we do? You know what we do? 
Here's what we do. This is, FOBO is the new thing, right? FOMO used to be the thing. FOBO is now the new thing. Fear of better, you know why? Because we have massive amount of options. I just talked to, uh, I don't even know who it was. I was talking to somebody and they were talking about somebody that came here from another country and they walked into the grocery store for the first time and they, they had to walk back out because they could not handle the amount of choices. Literally, they were overwhelmed. They had to walk back out. They, they couldn't handle it. It was an emotionally exhausting and overwhelming experience for them. They, they couldn't handle it. Usually they walk in and they, they eat whatever meat and whatever you know, thing is available and on the shelf. That's it. That's what you get. You can either eat this or not eat. We live in a culture where we have this phobo, this fear of better options, and so we wait until we get all the invites from people and be like, mm, I like them better, so we're going there. Sorry, we're busy that day. We all know we do it. We all do it, right? And so what happens is we have phobo with church and with God. And we don't sacrifice, we don't serve, and we don't commit because there are tournaments going on. There are other things happening that we have to make sure that we're available for. I know I'm digging in. I get it. I'm just saying, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, are we present? Are we with Jesus? Are we, are we with what he is doing and what he's about? Today we have an awesome opportunity to celebrate our faithfulness and our loyalty to Jesus. Because what we're going to do is today we're going to end our service by taking communion. And communion is very simply us celebrating and remembering the fact, the reality that just as Jackie said, and I love that you said this, Jackie, that Jesus left what he had and what he knew to come be one of us. And why did he do that? Because he wanted to be the sacrifice for our sins. Communion is very simply us remembering and celebrating and honoring and giving glory to Jesus for what he has already done for us, for all of us. And so we are going to celebrate communion. And so let me just kind of talk through how this works because some of you are newer to Northridge and that's cool. So we celebrate communion by doing intinction is what it's called. I don't like that word because nobody knows what that means. Have you noticed that theological terms in me, they, we don't get along very well? So I'm like, why did we come up with a term that nobody knows so that we have to say the term and then describe the term? So that's what I'm doing. Intinction means this. You take the bread and you dip it in the juice <laughs> and then you partake. Okay? That's all intinction means. It's a fancy word for dipping. <laughs> it just sounds more holy. We practice dipping in communion. Everybody's like, no, let's call it intinction. Okay, whatever. Now you know why we have the style of church we have, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'll take that. But what we're going to do is we're going to go into this beautiful song called In Christ Alone. And this song very simply talks about our faith in Jesus and, and the, the, pay, the payment that Jesus gave, the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins.
This is not a small deal. This is a big deal. Jesus himself instituted communion for us. He said, this is what I want you to do to remember my sacrifice. And so when we sing this song, we're going to have everybody stand when we get to that moment when we are getting ready to sing. Um, So we'll have you stand. But uh, let me just encourage you, if you need to kneel, if you want to sit and pray, if you want to go somewhere else in the room so that you can be just you and Jesus, because this is not between you and Pastor Brent. This is not between you and Northridge. This is not between you and all the people that are holding the communion elements. You'll have to look at them, but this is not between you and this is between you and Jesus. This is you and Jesus. This is your relationship. Jesus died on the cross for you. He didn't just die on the cross for humanity in general. He died for you. He had you in mind when he died. Imagine that. Billions and billions and billions of people, he had you in mind. He also had me in mind too. So when we open, when you start singing, communion will be open. Now, here's what I would suggest. Uh, We don't need a mass exodus as soon as we start the song, the first note. Take your time. This is a great opportunity for you to consider, do I even know Jesus? I would suggest that it might be important for you to make sure you know Jesus before you celebrate the crucifixion on the cross for you. Where are you at with Jesus? Are you present with him? Consider that. Allow Jesus to speak to you today. And so during the song, uh, when you're ready, and by the way, we probably shouldn't have everybody wait till the very end of the song either. But when you're ready, when you are ready, when Jesus is ready for you, then make your way out of your seat. Go back. We're going to have stations. People are going to be set up all across here. If you are gluten-free, you need a gluten-free bread, that'll be over there. We have regular bread over there too, so if you're not gluten-free, you can still go over there. (laughs) We have the regular bread over there as well, but the gluten-free is over there and all around the room. Then make your way, partake of communion, and then when you're ready, you can go back there and keep praying. You can kneel, you can sit, whatever you want to do, and then when you're ready, make your way back up. We'll finish our song, and then we'll wrap up our service. But today, I want you to consider what Jesus did for you. Mary Magdalene, she was present with Jesus at every turn. Is that how you want to be with Jesus? Is that how you are? Is that how you can be? Consider where you are with Jesus as we go into this time of communion. So Jesus was at the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus knew he was going to be crucified the next day. The disciples didn't know this. And they were going through this meal called the Passover meal. The disciples had done this since they were kids. They knew all the things to say. They knew all the things to recite. They had all these ritual, tradition things that they would walk through. They knew this this whole meal front to back. They knew exactly what happened next. And then all of a sudden, Jesus did something completely different that they'd never seen before. It had never been done in history at a Passover meal. I want to read for you what happened. Matthew chapter 26 is where it's recorded. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it. 
For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mary Magdalene knew that Jesus had paid the ultimate price for her freedom. Her freedom from sin, her freedom from demons, her freedom from loneliness, and her hope of eternity and salvation. Mary knew that. Do you know that here this morning? As we celebrate communion, may we honor and glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus for what he did for each one of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are here to worship you, to give glory to you, to honor you. Without you, God, without your sacrifice, Jesus, we have no hope of having a relationship with God. And so in this moment, as we sing and as we celebrate your sacrifice, your death on the cross for all of our sins, may we honor your name, may we glorify your name, and may we consider honestly, where am I at with you, Jesus? And if there's anybody here who in this moment, they know they've never chosen to give their life to you, Jesus. They've never chosen, like Mary Magdalene had to, to follow you, to be present with you, to make you their Lord and Savior. If they've never made that decision, made that choice for themselves, their parents can't make it for them, their pastor can't make it for them, nobody can make that choice. Every person has to make their own decision. Lord, in this moment, I pray that they would give their life to you that they would choose to follow you, their Lord and Savior. But may we honor you and your name for what you have done for us, the greatest sacrifice ever made, your life for the payment and the freedom for our sins. Help us to celebrate you. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?